Um, and probably the next couple of opportunities I have to stand before you to, um, to talk and to discuss Elijah. We, um, we briefly touched on Elijah or some things that I think we can attribute to Elijah over the last several weeks. We, uh, we talked about John, and John is described as coming in the, uh, the spirit of Elijah. We touched upon the, um, the assurance that was given unto Elijah that there were 7,000 knees that hadn't bowed to Baal. We, uh, we talked about prayer and how we ought to pray and what we ought to pray and that we ought to pray with earnest expectation boldly, and Elijah did. And so I thought it fit well. It was relevant for us to, uh, to consider Elijah. And um, I always, anytime I'm studying someone from the Bible and what it was they went through and what it was that they did and uh, thinking about all the, the women that we're studying, I often try to think about how that applies to me. Can I put myself in their shoes? Can I put myself in their time period? Can I put myself in their situation? Have I, have I been through anything similar? And then what application can I make from what we hear, good or bad, from that individual? Um, or do we learn from the Bible about that individual? And for, for a lot of reasons, Elijah is a good study. Um, Elijah endured a lot, but he was, uh, he was faithful unto God. And I think we're fond oftentimes, I think this might be in my notes below, but I'm going to insert it here since we're talking about how we, how we discern something from the study of God's Word and what it is that we can draw out. We oftentimes, when we have visiting preachers or speakers, nothing wrong with it, but we get their background. What are they known for? How old are they? Do they have family? Where do they come from? Where are they preaching at? How long have they preached? Have they written any books? Anything significant? Are they instructor anywhere? All of those things are okay. There's nothing inherently wrong with those. But what should be important about the individual we introduce that they are a man of God and they're delivering God's word and that was Elijah it was by Elijah that kings were, were brought to recognize at least one for sure that there was a true and living God that was all powerful it was through Elijah I had written down here it's from Elijah's words but not true. It was through Elijah that God caused the rain to stop on the earth for over three years. It was through Elijah that um, a widow that we touched briefly on in class, um, that her oil and her meal never ran out. It was through Elijah that her son was restored to life. It was through Elijah that um, many, many an individual of the nation of Israel, at least, repented and came back to God for a period of time. And it was through Elijah 
that hundreds of false prophets were silenced. And it was through Elijah that we learn a little bit about depending upon God, and it's through Elijah that we can learn in some of our weakest moments where we should turn for help and for strength. And it is through Elijah that we learn in those moments, good or bad, wherever we are at in life, if we want to know how do I make my next action right in the sight of God, we should go to work. That's what was told of Elijah. And we'll study that, Lord willing, as time comes up. But I thought it fitting, um, first of all, to put ourselves in the time period of Elijah. In terms of, of background of Elijah, we don't know much. He comes on the scene in 1 Kings chapter 17. We don't know about his parents. We're not told about his lineage. Was he, um, was he poor? Was he rich? Did he come from royalty? Was he regal in any way? What we know is he is a man of God brought to bring God's word. He was a prophet mostly to the northern kingdom. We do see toward the end of his ministry, he, uh, he does deliver a message through Elisha to, uh, to the southern kingdom, but he was mostly a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. To bring our minds into remembrance of this time period, this is the divided kingdom, at least the divided kingdom of Israel. To the north, Israel, and to the south, Judah. The best of my resources, and I don't know if it's accurate or not, um, but this puts Elijah maybe somewhere about 600 years following Moses. And why did I even put that in there? I think about what it was that Moses went through and what Moses had to endure with, uh, with God's people. And what was that? It's their struggle of faithfulness and their worship of idolatry. What does Elijah have to deal with? The struggle of those nations to be um, followers of God and idolatry. And so 600 years following Moses, Elijah the prophet arrives on the scene somewhere around 874 B.C. We see in 1 Kings uh, 16 a little bit about the... Um, about the land and the people and what was going on. Ahab is king. Ahab and the people worship idols, specifically Baal. And um, the nation of Israel has gone through a period of poor leadership. And they have readily taken to it. Because they've fallen right in line with the... Uh, false worship, the idol worship, and the ignorance and falling away of God's word. It's of interest to me, maybe it is of you, as you think about the time period leading up to Elijah, all that, that God's people, all that Israel has been through, and the leaders that they have endured, there's somewhere around 43 leaders. In the combined United Kingdom, there were four, of which one 
Ishbosheth. I know I get that wrong every time. That we don't know. It's not told of us a whole lot about whether he ruled good or bad because there's a very short window of time there for him. We read of one in the United Kingdom that was faithful unto God. He was described as a man after God's own heart. And that was David. We read of one who struggled. And it seems to be because it was his pride and it was all about me. And that was Saul. And we see one who seems to start off well, but he doesn't finish strong. And that is Solomon. And um, his influence of his wives and his concubines, just his weak moral character. He was the wisest man on earth, blessed with all wisdom. And yet the influence around him, that he set up around him, was his downfall. But throughout um, both the, the northern and the southern kingdom and the United Kingdom, roughly 43 leaders, only seven that we see described in the Bible as good. In other words, they followed in the ways of God. Now, there are three or four that are, are mixed or indifferent. There is uh, Ishbosheth that we just don't get clarification. But this was, um, was a period of time where the nation of Israel, and I'm talking the northern kingdom of Israel now, had followed after a handful of kings that were, we're told, followed after the ways of Jeroboam, Jeroboam being the first of the northern kingdom, and we know of Jeroboam that he didn't walk in the ways of God. To walk you through these, um, in Jeroboam, in Jeroboam, in 1 Kings 14, 7 through 11, we um, we see, let's just go there now. Let's go to 1 Kings 14. Let's start there. First Kings 14, 7 through 11. Go tell Jeroboam, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, for as much as I exalted thee from among the people and made thee prince over my people Israel and rent the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it thee, and yet thou hast not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do that only which was right in mine eyes, but thou, nope, but but hast done evil above all that were before thee. For thou hast gone and made the other gods and molten images to provoke me to anger and hast cast me behind thy back. Therefore, behold, I will bring evil upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam him that pisseth against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as a man taketh away dung, till it all be gone. Him that dieth of Jeroboam in the city shall the dogs eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat, for the Lord hath spoken it. And then following uh, Jeroboam, if you flip to your right there, go to 1 Kings 15, verses 26. It's followed by Nadab, and see how Nadab and the people followed them. I'm going to back up to 25. I've got 
26 on my slide. That should be 25-26. And Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned over Israel two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father, and in his sin, wherewith he made Israel to sin. And we're going to see that over and over. He made Israel. The, the, the reality is Israel embraced it. If you follow down just a little bit to verse 33, we see Baasha, who followed after Nadab. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, began Baasha, the son of um, Ahijah, to reign over all Israel in Tirzah, twenty and four years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin. Flip right and go to uh, chapter 16, 13 and see where we read of Allah. For all the sins of Baasha and the sins of Allah, his sons, by which they sinned and by which they made Israel to sin and provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. Now the rest of the days of Allah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Israel? Continue on to verse 19 and see what we read of Zimri. For his sins, which he sinned in doing evil in the sight of the Lord, in walking in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin, which he did to make Israel to sin. Zimri was evil in the sight of the Lord. Follow down verse 25 and look at Omri. But Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that before him. Now notice that was said about Jeroboam. And now it's said about Omri. He did worse than any others before him. It's not going to be the last time we see that. But Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and in his sin, wherewith he made Israel to sin, to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. And then go down to, um, to verse 28. So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his stead. Now remember what was said about Omri. And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab the son of Omri to reign over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Omri was worse than Jeroboam, who was horrible, and Ahab surpassed that. And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, it, it seemed easy of him to, to sin in the sight of God. And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took to wife Jezebel, who we've recently studied, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonite, Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. 
If ever you wouldn't want to be known of anything throughout history, you wouldn't want your legacy to be known as the king that did more evil than anyone else in the sight of God. And that puts us on the scene of Elijah and where he shows up through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven evil kings that Israel embraced and followed. And it's time for repentance to come and for the nation of Israel to come to a decision as, um, as Elijah will tell them in chapter 18, it's time for you to decide who is God? Is it Baal or is it God? And serve one or the other and quit trying to straddle the fence and stand in between. Brings us to chapter 17 where we're first introduced, to my knowledge anyway, first introduced to Elijah. And what is it that we know about Elijah? Start with me in verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years according to thy word. What we know about Elijah here. He is a Tishbite. What is significant about that? I'm not sure. He's of Tishbe, of Gilead, what to my understanding is somewhere in uh, modern day Jordan. But nonetheless, he, um, he is of the land, but we don't know much more about him yet. We do see both here in verse one and in verse five, that he's a man to, of God. He stands upon and follows God's ways. He's a man of prayer, we will see in chapter in verse 21, and he is bold in God's ways that we will see throughout chapter, uh, chapter 17 through 20. It is significant for us to note in the very first uh, verse there exactly what it is that Elijah um, brought to Ahab and the significance of all that there is in, uh, in 1 Kings 17 and verse 1. One relatively small passage. If we get past Elijah the Tishbite, who was of Gilead, and listen to what he said unto Ahab. As the Lord God of Israel liveth, first of all, there is one God. He is the Lord God of Israel. That's going to be um, the commanding theme of Elijah. There is one God. Second, the God of Israel goes on living, liveth. It's going to be significant because the false prophets that he's going to face He's going to show them that their idols are worthless. They're not living. They're just created images. They have no power. But there is one God that does. He goes on living. There is one God that is all-powerful. We will see that from uh, both this introduction and, and through chapter 19. The power that is displayed through Elijah 
of God. And um, the significance that it was that, that was recognized by Israel and should be recognized by all. But there is one God that is the true and living God who is all-powerful, who reigns over Israel, and now we recognize, and always has, but all men are subject to, but who is over all things. We'll also see as we move through our studies here um, some additional learnings from Elijah. Secondary to his message, um, I've tried to think of how I could craftily word this for you guys, and I fell woefully short. I thought about um, speaking unto you about his message and his methods, because there is some significance in the way he acted, and that he acted in a way that was in alignment with God's word. And then um, I didn't know how to ascribe it to a third end. Maybe it's his mental state, but his resolve to do that which God would have him to do. We'll learn through his ministry nonetheless, since I didn't know how to put that, that God alone is to be worshipped. That God's ways are to be followed. We, we should already get that as we bring ourselves up to 1 Kings chapter 17, in that all of those kings we read about previously, all the way back to David at least, finished their reign evil in the sight of God. So that ought to be clear, that man ought to walk in the ways of God. We also see through Elijah, and that we recently have studied, uh, what prayer should look like. And we're assured, we see in action the prayers of Elijah, that God hears and God answers those prayers. We'll see that, um, we'll see where we should turn to seek help and support and guidance. Through all that Elijah endured, and he endured a lot. We ought to be able to put ourselves in Elijah's mental state a little bit. And recognize why he was um, why he was struggling and why he was depressed and why his mental state was such that it was when he prayed to God for help. Maybe not in the right way initially. We also learn from Elijah that we ought to do the work of God throughout that uh, prayer that he gave unto God and in that mental state he was in. It's worth noting, I'll just go ahead and say it now, Lord willing, we'll touch on it again three weeks from now. When Elijah um, went unto God and had made his, his plea first, that wasn't in alignment necessarily with God's will. But then he pleaded his case again that he was lonely and he was distraught and he was persecuted. He was downtrodden. God said, it's time to get up and go to work, Elijah. There's 7,000 people that haven't bent their knee to Baal, which you don't even recognize. So that was assurance done to him. But then he was told, there's kings you need to anoint and messages that you need to continue on carrying. I think about that quite a bit, um, many a times as I reflect upon either my mental status or those around me. Um, I'm fond of repeating a story that I can't even attribute where I've heard it because I've heard it several, several times. But assuming it is a true story, as it's been passed down, but 
The story is um, is one of a congregation member of, of ladies, as it is, that um, is, is struggling with her faith and with the congregation that she's in. And I don't feel recognized. And I don't feel acknowledged. And I have no nobody has called upon me, and no, nobody has visited. And I don't feel embraced, and I don't feel involved in all that's going on. And she's presenting this before the preacher after a, after a sermon. And he says, I would ask you to do two things for me. First of all, I'd ask you, if you haven't already, to earnestly pray about your condition. And second... I'd ask you to bake a cake and take it to somebody. And her reaction is one of, I don't know if you understand. <laughs> Nobody is acknowledging me. I haven't heard anybody. Nobody's called to check on me and see how I'm feeling, to see if I've been sick or see why I haven't been at services or what's going on with me. Nobody's visited my house. Nobody's brought me a cake. You want me to bake a cake and take it to someone? And the preacher says, yes, I want you to pray first and to go on praying about your condition, but I want you to bake a cake and to take it to someone and visit with them. And I want you to repeat that. And the story is told that eventually that sister comes back and says, I was very, very angry at you in the direction that you gave me following your sermon and following our conversation. But I understand now your guidance. In the position that she was in, it was all about me and about how I felt. But when she went to work doing God's work, edifying, evangelizing, and benevolence, when she focused on others and the work that God had set out, she began to feel better about her condition. All of a sudden, she was talking to members of the church. All of a sudden, she felt worthwhile. All of a sudden, she felt like a part of the congregation again. And so, there might be times that we need to get back to work. It's what Elijah was told, and it wasn't, wasn't a strong rebuke. But it was a time to get to work. I've still got some time, so I'd like to develop out a little bit more. I only have a couple of slides here. Really, I had intended to kind of wrap my, my thoughts around this one. But since we have a little bit of time, if I can take five more minutes before I get into my clothes, which, as you all are familiar, probably takes me five minutes or so, let's go back to chapter 17, and let's continue on for just a little bit. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to thy word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook um, Cherith, which is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, 
that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and, fle and flesh in and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Remember all the way back in verse 1. His proclamation, a result of um, his prayers, but this is God's word. I didn't even touch on that earlier. There is significance as well in where um, Elijah says, Before whom I stand, let me just read it in its entirety, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand. Before whom I stand carries two implications. Number one, it is my authority. It is by God's authority. It's the one that I believe in, the one that I cling to, and the one that I hold. So this is proclamation of um, Elijah's allegiance to God. But second, I'm God's messenger. What I bring to you is the word and the will of God. So there's a, a, a two-part um, learning or emphasis there of before whom I stand. Now, the proclamation is that there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So he's prayed and he's asked for it. Now there will no rain come. Significance here is that there shall not dew nor rain come those years. Talk about a drought. There's going to be zero humidity because there's not going to be dew in the morning. Nor is there going to be rain that falls. Nor to that point would the people look around and see rain clouds even trying to form in the sky. It's going to be totally dry and, and the drought will set in. With one exception. By, by miraculous intervention of God, God directs... Um, directs Elijah to where the source of the water will be for him. In verse 3 and through 6, we see how Elijah was sustained by God. Miraculously, yes. He led him or told him to go to the brook Cherith, and then he had ravens that brought food unto him morning and evening. And that's how he survived. It's significant, as I mentioned earlier also in verse 5, that as God instructed him, so he went. And he dwelt there, and he put his dependence, put his trust, he put his faith in God to provide, as God had told him he would do. Faithful to God. Ought to be a lesson there for us. In whom do I stand? Whose message is it that I bring? I like in Greg's prayer, he, he had mentioned we take our opinion, we take our emotions out of it, we defer to God's word to direct our actions and our emotions. That ought to be wherein we stand. Significance there that we ought to recognize God sustains us. Just almost as he did with uh, Elijah. I said just as he did Elijah. He did sustain Elijah, but the way he sustains us is not necessarily miraculous, but in that he put into effect the laws of nature, and he has um, provided for us the things of this earth that are hospitable for us and are good for us and the things that we need. 
ought to be a lesson there unto us that um, we should trust and put our faith in God and to know that he will fulfill it as Elijah did. Alright, verse 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there, gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. But first, give me water to drink. But while you're going, give me something to eat. Notice her response, verse 12. And she said, as I'm sorry, this is him, and, at, and she, let me back up again. She said, and she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it, for me and my son, that we may eat and die. The drought is significant throughout the land, and resources are scarce. And Elijah asked of water, and she was going to fetch it. And then she said, and he said, bring me something to eat. And she said, I don't, I don't have it. I don't even have a cake. I'm getting ready to make the last of what I have. That me and my son may eat it and then perish. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, Neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not. Neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. Just as we noticed earlier when Elijah was directed to go to Cherith, here through Elijah, she's told your, your resources are not going to expire. Trusting God to provide. And she did. To her credit, verse 15, she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And those things sustained them. The lessons there for us. Trust that God will and can sustain us. Now, this is these indications here are the physical necessities of life. We recognize God sustains us um, physically, emotionally, and He sustains us spiritually as long as we abide in His Word. Made it a little farther than I thought, and not so far as I wanted to. But um, for the, fact, the sake of time, this is where I want to conclude this morning, I guess. Feels like kind of a, a week lesson and a week closing. Because we only made it 
into chapters 16 and 17. But here's what I had prepared earlier in, in my thoughts. Early introduction into Elijah before we get into the further accounts here in 17, 18, in, in chapter 19. Elijah was a man of God. That ought to be our lesson for today as well. Trust in God. Do that which is of God. Let it be known by us. It is of the Lord God before whom I stand. He's my all in all. I'm committed unto him. And it's my message I bring to those that I have an opportunity to interact with. We've all prayed this morning as well. That we have opportunity to do those things which um, God would have us to do and live in the way that God would have us to live. To be benevolent people, loving people, caring, compassionate. That we have opportunity to um, encourage others. And ultimately that we have opportunity to evangelize. Second, Elijah was a man of prayer. And that ought to stand out to us, because that's how we spent the last four weeks now, I think it is, maybe five, in study about prayer and our prayer lives. We ought to pray like Elijah. We haven't made it too far yet. We'll, Lord willing, study it some more. But Elijah prayed boldly. Elijah prayed with expectation. And we see through Elijah that God hears prayers. And as we said before, his answer is yes no or at the appropriate time and we'll see that that was the case for Elijah and we ought to be bold in godly ways there, there's going to be a lot of difficulty there was some difficulty first of all in Elijah going before Ahab already we haven't got that far yet I don't know how familiar you are with the account of Elijah but at this moment there is, a, um, there is instruction throughout the land. Because of the drought that has come, Ahab is seeking Elijah and his life. We see that from Obadiah, when Elijah and Obadiah interact with one another. And um, he is reluctant to go back and tell Ahab that... Um, that Elijah is here and seeks audience with him because he says, everybody's been looking for you. And when he gets the chance to meet with Ahab, Ahab says, are you the one who troubles Israel? And Elijah says, it's not me. It's not me that troubles, that, that troubles Israel. He didn't even say that it was God that troubles Israel. He said, it's you, Ahab, because you don't walk in God's ways and neither does Israel under him. So we ought to trust and put our faith in God. We ought to be bold about it. We ought to be prayerful people. Lord willing, when we have time, we, um, we'll make it further into the study of Elijah. I hope it's going to be a benefit and value to each and every one of us that will draw us closer. I apologize that um, that wasn't maybe as bold a preaching as we uh, as maybe we hopefully are accustomed to this morning, but as did Elijah, the message we would want to make sure each and every one of us takes out of here is we put our trust and faith in God that we understand and recognize 
that God wants each and every individual, all those who, who are of His creation, and that is all of mankind, to know the truth. And that in knowing the truth, that they might be saved. That comes from 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. We will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. We know and we offer the plan of salvation every opportunity we have to preach and to teach because the opportunity is now for us. We know faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. We know that um, the word of God is not miraculously passed to us and automatically um, imposed upon us, but that Christianity is a learned religion. We know that we know because we've heard the word of God spoken and or through a study of his word so that we know the truth and we come to the truth. So we know um, we have to have heard, we have to hear the word of God. We have to believe that which is proclaimed throughout all of the Bible. And that is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that through belief in Him and the word that He delivered, or words that He delivered unto us, that we might have life. John 20 and verse 31 tells us, But these are written that ye may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. And many of the world would stop right there for you. That's not all encompassing. Not an all inclusive as to what God taught. It's not all inclusive of what Jesus taught. It's not what the apostles taught. It's not what was taught at the foundation of the church. Yes, we have to hear. We have to believe. But we have to be willing to repent of our sins. On the day of Pentecost, when pre uh, when preacher when Peter preached that uh, that good sermon. And at least a small part of the audience cried, what do we do now? What must we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. So repentance was absolutely necessary, as was baptism, according to Peter. In Acts 17, verse 30, we see that times of ignorance, God winked at, and there was a period of time where some of those things were overlooked. Following God's ways was never completely overlooked. One had to place themselves in alignment with God's will in order to be pleasing unto God and to have accepted God. But there was a time of ignorance of some of those things that they were overlooked. But now everywhere men must repent. We have to be willing to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that we do believe that. Matthew 10, 32 tells us, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. We saw it with the Ethiopian eunuch and his, um, his statement as well. We have to be willing to be baptized. We mentioned Acts 2, 38. We see in Galatians 3, 27 that it is through baptism that we put on Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so that is a necessity to be a Christian. I have to be immersed in order to wash away my sin. Very, very clear. Shouldn't be difficult for man to understand. And then we go on trying to live in a way that honors God. If we do, 
In Revelation 2.10, we see we are promised to inherit that crown of life, that home in heaven. And we will slip, trip, and fall, potentially, in our walk. And most, if not all of you, know and understand and have accepted this plan of salvation that was delivered by God. And so, having been, having been and being children of God, we have an advocate that is there on the right hand of God that is waiting to plead on our behalf. In those moments when we do fall short, in those moments where we do separate ourselves from God, we can come back. And we have a mediator and an intercessor there that takes our pleas before God and he welcomes us back. when we repent and when we return. So not knowing the mind of each and every one of you here this morning, if there is one here this morning that hasn't um, been faithful to the plan of salvation in its entirety, or there is question about that, we want to study it out and make sure you know assuredly that you're in a right condition before God. And if you need to, um, to remedy anything there, we will study with you and we will uh, do our best to help and to support you in remedying that. And if you are a child of God and there is something that has separated you from him, if it's of a private nature, go to God in prayer, repent and turn away from that. Do a 180 and stop doing it and beg him for his forgiveness and he's just to give it. If it's of a public nature and it is known amongst more than just yourselves, it has brought shame and reproach upon the church. Let us help you with that. Let us help pray on your behalf. Um, let us help bear that burden with you and let us help you remedy that in whatever way we can. If there's anyone here this morning that needs to respond to the Lord's invitation, it's open now. We would encourage you to take advantage of it now while the opportunity affords itself uh, because we're not we're not promised anything beyond this moment and so make it right if that is the case if there's anyone here that needs to respond please come forward as we stand and ask yourself.